Well, good morning. I'm Andrew Lambert, and it is uh, my privilege to serve here as associate pastor. And this morning, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you can turn there in your Bible as we, as we get started. If you want a Bible, need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We've got some back here. Yep. I am grateful for this opportunity to preach, even though it was unexpected, and I would, uh, I would ask you to um, continue to pray for Pastor Dave and his family, his extended family, as we just did. Thank you, Brother Avery, for doing that, but in your personal prayers, consider them realizing that they have some grieving to do, and um, his mind is on his family right now. As we read today, we will read 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I want you to realize that this is God's powerful and authoritative word that we are reading. So let's do that. Let's read that together. I'll pray, kind of introduce where we're going, give you an outline, and we'll jump in. So 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do thank you. We thank you for our Lord, who is Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the riches you have poured out through Christ. And we thank you for the great reality that we can be saved by Christ. And Father, we recognize that this is of you and through you and part of your great plan. And so, Lord, would you soften our hearts, open our ears, Help our eyes to see the truth that is in Scripture, that we might receive from you what we need this day and even for this week. Lord, help us to treasure the things that you deliver to us through your word. And we all pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, a man named Sam Toller tells this story about one evening when a father stopped to watch a little league baseball game. And he asked one of the youngsters who was there, What's the score? We're losing 18 to nothing, said the boy. <laughs> the father smiled and said, yeah, I must say, you don't look very discouraged. And the boy said, well, why, why would we be discouraged? He looked a little puzzled. He said, we haven't even come up to bat yet. <laughs> I love it. That's the boy's assessment of the situation, right? And it, that's kind of an assessment of the situation of Corinthians here. Uh, Paul refuses to look at their circumstances and get discouraged. Instead, he is confident in what the Lord has done. And that's how we should feel when we read these first nine verses in Corinthians 1. 
See, Paul expresses an amazing confidence in God the Father and Jesus the Son. Did you notice Jesus Christ kept coming up over and over and over as we read that? And this letter is written by Paul, the apostle, to the church that's in Corinth, uh, a church that, just for a little bit of context, is known for, uh, well, I should say the city is known for being, uh, worshiping and indulging in the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And you can imagine the kinds of things that went on around that. So Paul had established this church in Corinth on his first missionary trip. He, he knew the people there. He knew the believers there. He had talked to them. He had shared the gospel. He had shared his life. He had prayed with them. He had shared their challenges. But now he's moved on, and he's in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter, this epistle back to them. And uh, he has a reason in mind. He certainly does. But he is writing because he is worried. He's worried about... The fact that the culture may be having more influence on them than the gospel is having on them. He's worried because he hears a number of reports. And I say Paul's worried. I don't know if he's really worried. But he's got these concerns. And so he's writing because he's concerned of these very serious sins he's hearing about. He's hearing about disorder in the church. He's hearing about incest going on with one of the members. He's hearing about the misuse of spiritual gifts. He's hearing about pride and arrogance and factions and divisions and allegiances. Nonetheless, all that, and Paul starts with this amazing confidence in the gospel. Pure confidence in Christ because of the work of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul could have given up on them. He might have written them off, but instead he sends them this letter that is so helpful. And this letter speaks to us today with God's authority and God's power. Just like the Corinthians, we need to be reminded... And they needed to be reminded, we need to be reminded, we need to be reassured that we can rest in Christ. And that's the big idea today, that we would be reassured, that we would take on board this fact, this big idea, that we can rest in Christ. So I ask you, are you living in anxiety, in worry, maybe low-grade guilt? Are you concerned about your relationship with God because you know you sin? And you know your attitude's not right a lot of the time, which is also a sin. Do you worry about salvation because of these types of things going on in your heart and in your mind? If so, I want to lead you and show you today three reasons that you can rest in the work of Christ. Three reasons. First, I want you to rest in Christ because God sanctified you. Second, I want you to rest in Christ because he enriches you. Third, I want you to rest in Christ because he sustains you. Three reasons. Eh, We've got to take them one at a time, don't we? So we'll start with the first one. The first reason you, as a believer, as a saint, can rest in Christ is because God sanctified you. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. Keep your Bible handy this morning. Keep it flipped open to 1 Corinthians 1 because we will refer back to these verses a number of times. Verse 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 2, Paul is speaking about being sanctified in Christ. He describes what that means almost in the same sentence. He says, you are called to be saints. Now, what are saints? Saints in the Old Testament, same as saints in the New Testament. Those who are holy in God's eyes. Those who are set apart. Sanctified basically means 
consecrated, separated, set apart, made holy. And the New Testament uses this word sanctified in three different ways. I'm going to blaze through the different ways and we'll talk about the one that it's used here in 1 Corinthians. First, it refers to positional sanctification, right? The believer's position in Christ. When you're put into Christ, you are now in this position before the Lord eternally. Second, it refers to this progressive growing sanctification, a lifetime process of growing in holiness and Christ-likeness. Third way that sanctified is used in the New Testament is this idea of perfected sanctification. I, I prefer to think of glorification. This, you know, you, you die and yes, you are in heaven now and you are perfect. You're glorified. You have a glorified body. You're set free from all sin and all even the presence of sin. That's the third, the third use. But in verse 2, stick with me please, the word is sanctified. Notice how in English it's past tense and it, it refers to our positional sanctification, this idea that we are in Christ. It's a verb which refers to a definitive action that happened in the past and still has an ongoing, never-ending, lasting implication and impact in our lives. It happened in the past, you were saved, and you will be saved into glory, glorification. So that's what it means in this context. And the, the idea is that something happened to you. That's the idea of this Greek word, the verb. It, it happened to you Somebody did it. You didn't do it to yourself. Somebody did it and somebody received it. God sanctified, the saint received it. This is done, it may have happened in the past. Well, yes, it did happen in the past for the believer, but it still has this ongoing impact. It will have an impact all the way through to eternity. But notice in verse 2, notice that it also explains how we are sanctified. The how, right? God sets apart each saint through their relationship with Christ. Based on Christ, he makes them holy. It is by being, in this verse, is, this is in verse 2, it is by being in Christ Jesus. That's an, an odd term or phrase. It gets used a lot by Paul in the New Testament, and it's really synonymous with being saved. But being in Christ is your position before God the Father in heaven above. If you are saved, you are in Christ. So there's an awful lot of gospel confidence packed into just verse 2. Not only are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints, saints, believers, believers, saints, but they are saints because they call upon the name of the Lord. Right? So that's, that's a, something that we recognize as a, words that speak to this idea of an expression of faith, to call upon the Lord. And you may be sitting here and you may be thinking of Romans 10, 13, right? Where, where we often go when we hear those words, call upon the Lord. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. Yeah, it's a little bit out of context, so let's put some gospel context around it. When we call upon the name of the Lord with true faith and true belief and we are saved, what are we saved from? Well, at this level, we're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from hell, if you want to put it that way, right? That wrath that we deserved for our sins, for our crimes against God, if I can say it that way, that wrath is now poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. So you're saved from that. You see, the Father used the cross to exhaust his wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ for those who believe and put their faith in Christ. That is good news. 
You see, let's talk about this just a little bit further. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, they, they have a, a recognition of some things. They recognize that they are separated by their sin from God. They are alienated from his favor and grace. And they are estranged. They are not in relationship with God. They are not in fellowship with him. They are living in darkness and without light. They look at their sin and they realize, I actually deserve the full judgment of all my crimes and sins against God. I actually deserve that. And, and then they confess and they, and they recognize and acknowledge and admit their helplessness in light of their offenses in the eyes of God. So they cry out. They cry out to the Lord for salvation through Jesus Christ. They call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But you see, calling on the name of the Lord for salvation results in more than just being saved from wrath and hell. I hope you get this. I hope this settles down deeply inside of you. I hope this resonates with you all week. It involves being changed at the most fundamental core level of our being. It involves having the righteousness of Christ given to you, imputed to you. It involves this forgiveness of sin, a cleansing from guilt. It involves a legal transaction. We call that justified. To be justified is to be legally exonerated from all of your sins and crimes against God in the eyes of God. That is good news, ladies and gentlemen. And amen. Well, what happens when someone calls upon the name of the Lord? God sanctifies them. He sets them apart. He makes them holy. It's like God reaches down and turns on the water hose and he sets a number of things flowing in motion. Now notice how this results in being moved out of darkness and into light for the believer. How it is a move from death into life. How we were once alienated from God, but now we are adopted by him. How we were once estranged from God, and now we have intimacy with God. Notice, sanctified is why all these things that are involved in this idea of sanctified, I don't know how big I can make it, is why Paul immediately announces and pronounces a blessing on the believers in verse 3. A blessing that remains true for every believer sitting in here. And what does he say? He talks about these two ideas of being sanctified as a saint, which brings grace and peace. Grace. First, let's talk about grace, this idea of unmerited favor that you can never earn, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how many good deeds you do. Nope, you can't merit it. It's unmerited favor. And then he moves to peace. You have peace. This is an indicator that the hostility between you and God, believer, you and God, the hostility and the enmity that was between you is now erased, gone and buried forever. This is what it means to be sanctified. Through Christ, we are sanctified into a new position, a new relationship with God. And that is why you can rest. You can rest, saint, because you are sanctified by God in Christ Jesus. You have peace with God through this amazing grace. God has done this work of setting the believer apart and making the believer holy. So we see God has sanctified those who in true faith call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just try and paint the picture a little more with uh, some strokes here of, of you going out into your yard and you look down and you see uh, a water hose. It's 
coiled up on the ground, nothing's happening, no water's coming out of it. But you walk over to the spigot and you turn the handle, you open the valve, and the water starts to flow. You don't see anything for a few seconds, but it's flowing. And when you look down, at first it's a little rusty and mucky and nasty, and you probably wouldn't want to drink it. But after a little bit of time, maybe a few seconds or a minute, you see this crystal clear, beautiful water flowing out the end of the hose. Because you knew when you turned that valve, that's what would happen. And likewise, it's as if God reaches down and he turns on the handle and he opens the valve and through his action, he saves you and puts you in Christ. You have been sanctified the minute he opened that valve, so to speak. And yet you look at your life and you go, it's dirty, it's rusty, it's yucky, it's sinful, it's nasty. I don't like what I see. But the Lord Jesus Christ is sanctifying you in the best sense of the word. Because first, when that valve was opened by God, using the imagery, so to speak, you were saved in that moment. Sanctified, the first meaning of the word, positionally in Christ. But he will continue to change you as your life goes on. You are now in a safe position. You are set apart. You are forgiven by God because of the work of Christ. And that Brothers and sisters, is why you can rest in Christ, because he sanctified you. God sanctified you. We have much to be grateful for. Now, as we pick up the thought process in 1 Corinthians, I want you, brother, sister, saint, believer, to rest in Christ because he enriches you. He enriches you. Now, when I was growing up, I... I had a paper route for many, many years. I'd get up very early in the morning. I'd go and toss papers on the front stoop, porch, whatever, of people. And then I'd come home, and I'd get out a box of cereal, and I'd be eating it. I'd eat a bowl or two. But, but I'd set that box right in front of me, and I'd read every word on it. I don't know if any of you had that experience. And you can't miss the fact that on the front it says enriched, right? It's enriched with vitamins or something from the outside that is added into it to make it not only healthier, but hopefully to make you stronger. And so this idea of enriched, that we are enriched in Christ, is this idea that something is fundamentally changed in our lives, fundamentally different because we are enriched through Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Notice that verse 4 starts with, I will give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is giving thanks. He's giving thanks because they have the grace of God that was given to him in Jesus Christ. But verse 4 turns into verse 5, and we see more of why Paul is giving thanks to God. He says he's thankful because they are saints who are enriched through Christ. In every way, verse 5 says, you are enriched in him, enriched in Christ. You see, the saints in Corinth, like the saints today, have received something from outside of themselves. It has been added into them, and it fundamentally changes their lives. So let's consider what it means to be enriched in Christ. First, I'm going to start very broadly, and then we're going to break it down into what would be more personal or specific. Broadly thinking, I'm going to step outside of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has blessed us in Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual 
blessing in the heavenly places. How big is that? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Now, how do we even begin to comprehend or grasp or put our arms around that? That's awfully difficult, isn't it? It's an awful lot. And we'll probably need all of eternity to grasp hold of it. Nonetheless, God has not left us without some clues. He has given us his word. And here are a few rapid-fire ways in which you, if you are a believer, have been made rich in Christ. He made you a child of God, according to John 1.12. You have been redeemed and forgiven according to Ephesians 1.7. You have been made alive together with Christ according to Ephesians 2. You are hidden with Christ in God according to Colossians 3. You have fellowship with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. You've become part of a royal priesthood. You are a temple of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. You have been given a spirit of power and love and discipline. And I might add, you've been made rich with purpose because you are now an ambassador for Christ. You have a message to share. Nobody can take any of that away because you are in Christ. So broadly speaking, we can rest because God has given us everything in and through Christ that a Christian will ever need for fellowship with God, for service to God, and in eternity with God. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. The Christian has everything they will ever need for fellowship with God, serving God, and spending eternity with God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now there is another broad way in which we are enriched as Christians. It's hidden in this passage. You have to read very, very carefully. And so I want you to turn your attention to verse 2 because this brings it out. Notice how verse 2 says, we're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, if you read this carefully, you see it refers to those who are not in Corinth, right? It's referring to somebody who's not there. In every place, saints are believers who call upon the Lord. So we can kind of read this personally. It's their Lord and our Lord. We have the same Lord. Here's what I want you to get and take away. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Here in this place, this service, last service, brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also have brothers and sisters around the world through the bond of Christ and the bond of faith. It was wonderful when Avery prayed for believers around the world this morning. We have served them by praying for them. And so we are enriched with a worldwide family of brothers and sisters, and nobody can take that away. So as I said, there's a broad way to understand how we are enriched, but now there's a more specific and personal way. Notice verse 5. We're, we're jumping back to verse 5. That's why I asked you to keep your Bible open. Notice that it says that in every way you are enriched in him, him is Christ, every way you are enriched in him with all speech and knowledge. Now, if you know the story of the Corinthians, if you've read the book, you know they're a mess. They're a hot mess. I mean, we talked about some of their sins that were on display and prominent and not good and really um, kind of train wrecking them. But even though they're a mess, a big hot mess, Paul acknowledges the gifts they have received from Christ because they are believers. And he picks up on two of particular importance, speech and knowledge. Those two things. Consider how Paul might view this. Consider how he might be thinking about this. He went 
to the Corinthians originally, and he enriched them through speech and knowledge. What do you mean by that? He enriched them by speaking of the gospel. He enriched them as they received the gospel through his preaching and his sharing of the testimony of Christ. He also shared the knowledge of the work of Christ. He explained the Old Testament to them. He helped them understand who is this Christ and what has he done. And so now Christ has enriched the actual saints in Corinth with all speech and knowledge to do the same thing. Just like we are enriched to do the same thing. There's evidence of this that that has happened in verse 6. The testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, Paul says. That is to say, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the faith were on display in the Corinthians. Pray that they would be on display in us as well. In fact, they are so much on display that Paul can confidently say in verse 7, you are not lacking any gift. You're not lacking any gift. So clearly the Corinthians were enriched in many ways by Christ. And, and as I said earlier, enriched means something from the outside is added in which fundamentally changes everything. It also can sort of mean to be rich, right? To be, if I'm enriched, it, we, we could just sort of put the word money in there and talk about what that means. Kind of like a, we can work hard to be rich. It's all on us, right? It's as if we have to work and then we get paid and we save and we invest. And if all goes well, we have money for retirement someday. At least that's the concept, right? But in reality, it's a bit of a grind, isn't it? It's very difficult. We work hard, but it's hard to save. We make investments, but who knows from year to year and decade to decade, are they even going to go up, down, or be there at all? And so maybe, maybe they'll increase and maybe they'll decrease. And all of our efforts at enriching our lives through money, they could come to nothing. It is actually possible that we think we're enriching this pot, this savings account, this 401k, and, and what if? What if all of that effort of scraping and saving and skimping and cutting costs, what if it amounts to nothing? Suppose the worst happens and you're bankrupt, left without a penny. And then just like it says in the Bible, but, but, it could all be overcome in a single instant. If, big if, a long-lost relative unexpectedly leaves you $3 million. It's a game changer, isn't it? Suddenly you're enriched beyond your wildest expectations. You're enriched by a source that's outside of you. You're enriched because something has been added into your life, and you had no control over that at all. That something changes the shape and trajectory of your life, doesn't it? Suddenly it is done. It happened to you. In fact, you're so blessed. You're in such a great position that you can bless others and enrich them. Well, that's a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? Because we are enriched by Christ, and we can enrich others. We are enriched from outside of ourselves, beyond our capacities and capabilities. So listen, believer. It happened to you in the past. You were sanctified at the point of salvation. God did it through Christ. You didn't do it. It's already complete. He has given you rich spiritual gifts. He has enriched you along with every other saint who has ever lived. 
So broadly speaking, we have rest in Christ because he has enriched us with eternal life, with fellowship in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore, you can rest. Specifically speaking, more personally speaking, Christ has enriched you with spiritual gifts. First of all, speech. You have a testimony to share. And a testimony isn't any good if all it does is say, I'm a sinner and I sin, sin, sin. No, you have a testimony about being moved out of your sin and into righteousness. You have a testimony about being moved into salvation. And you have knowledge. You have the outline of the gospel. You have knowledge that you can share with others to encourage them, exhort them, help them. So don't buy into the lie when you're sitting at home in a quiet moment and you're thinking, I don't have a spiritual gift. Well, actually, you need to trust the one who says he will give gifts to all his children. He is faithful. He will equip you. I also just want to remind you that you are enriched with brothers and sisters, not just around the world, but right here. Right here. A family that comes alongside you so that we can help work it out. We help each other work it out, right? You have been enriched with brothers and sisters who need your gifts. Some will speak, and, and we will have brothers and sisters who will speak truth to us. They will help us recognize our sin and our blind spots and help us in our sanctification. Praise God for that. Others will share the knowledge and the truth about Christ when we need to be encouraged and we need to be made steadfast and we need to feel the anchor that we sang about. And others will serve quietly in the background. And that's okay because we need every spiritual gift that the Lord has given to the body of FCF. Every single one. Well, there's a lot more I could say about being enriched in Christ. But first, let's review. You can rest in Christ because God has sanctified you as a believer. You can rest in Christ because he has enriched you as a believer. But there is this one more giant reason to rest in Christ. I want you, believer, saint, Christian, I want you to rest in Christ because he sustains you to the end. We need to actually go back and read verses 7, 8, and 9 so that we can see what this means. Verse 7 says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, let me ask this question. What do we have in common with the Corinthians, the believers who are in Corinth? Quite a lot, I would say. We're sinners. We're pretty messed up. We fumble and we fail. But we also are like them in that we need reassurance. And I might add, we all wait for the same thing. Well, what do believers wait for? What do saints wait for? Did you see it there in verses 7 and 8? It says it two different times. In verse 7 it says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, both of those are references to the moment when Jesus Christ will return and be revealed in all of his splendor and glory. But for now, we wait. We wait. Think with me. What do we do at Christmas? 
We celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is when he was revealed in his humanity. What do we do at Easter? We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord when he was revealed in his power over sin, grave, death, and all of that. And what do we do at Pentecost? If we think about Pentecost, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit who now puts God on display in the believer. But for now, we wait. We're waiting for that day when Jesus will return. Even Romans 8 says, all of creation eagerly awaits his return. That will be the very pinnacle of history when Jesus Christ will be revealed, revealed in all his glory as Savior and Lord and ruler and judge and Son of Man and Son of God, fully human, fully God. That will be the day. And you know, throughout the centuries, Christians have wondered, they have wondered if they would make it to the end. And that question comes in two flavors. There's the the question of, will I live long enough to see the Lord's return? And for 2,000 years, the answer has been, no, you haven't. But then there's the second flavor of that question. Am I going to be saved when he does return? Am I going to be saved when Jesus returns? That question, my friends, haunts many a true believer. It haunts many who truly believe in Christ. You see, here's what happens. The devil comes along and he throws these fiery darts of doubts and accusations at you and you start to wonder, how could I be good enough? Our own flesh and blood, our own thinking causes us to doubt God and his word. And then the world comes along and what do they say? They're like, hey, I don't even think God exists. And they doubt the existence of God, and we hear that constantly. The world, the flesh, the devil all work against us to raise up emotions and feelings that seek to rule us and ruin us and drive us to despair. But as saints, we should have none of this. We should have none of this. We have an answer to the devil, to the flesh, and to the world. Verse 8 tells us Christ will sustain us to the end. The very power of the work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that is the power that will hold the believer fast. And God, in his kindness, gives us a word this morning, an encouragement to warm our hearts that we are held fast by Christ. And not only held fast, but our Savior, he will keep us guiltless. You won't have to have guilt. No guilt, no hint of guilt, no stain of guilt. This is true because of the work Christ has done. He takes the penalty for our sins, and then he removes our sins, and he cleanses us. I bet you know 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just not only to forgive us our sins, what's the last part? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord and amen. In fact, we could even go to Ephesians chapter 1, which tells us that God made us holy and blameless through Jesus Christ. Not only does Christ remove the guilt, he makes us blameless. I don't know, I just getting excited. When Jesus is revealed at that last day, he will sustain the saints as guiltless. 
He does this through his own infinite power to the very end. He's not counting on you. He doesn't need your abilities and capacities. No, he's using his infinite power to hold you before God, guiltless and blameless, before the Father in heaven, before the throne of grace. Yeah, amen. And so that's why I want you, saints, to rest in Christ, because he sustains you as guiltless and blameless to the very end. Now, now in this life and through eternity. Only Christ has the power to do that. What a glorious truth. But let's be honest, we are frail, we are weak, we are tempted to worry and doubt. And God provides even more reasons to rest in Christ. He does this by revealing himself in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So he's talking about salvation. Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. He's revealing himself, just like he does through all of Scripture. He reveals himself as faithful, steadfast, never-ending, nonstop. He is dependable. What he says will come to pass. It will happen. God is the one who calls you into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So do you see why you can have confidence, why you can rest in Christ? God has called you into that fellowship with himself, through his son. God is the one who did it, who puts you in that place. He did it by his own divine call, and he does it, and he makes something happen. Now track with me for a minute, right? Because this is my analogy. He called the sun, the moon, the earth into existence, and what does he do? He faithfully sustains each one of those. He calls the sun, and day by day we see the sun come up. He calls the moon into existence, and month by month we see it wax and wane, come and go. He calls the earth into existence, and decade by decade, century by century, he sustains the earth by the power of his word. And he calls the saint into fellowship with Jesus. Don't you think he will do the same? Faithfully sustaining that relationship Day by day, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, into eternity. See, God is faithful. You can trust him. What he says will come to pass. What he promises, he will deliver. By God's very own power, he called the saint, the believer, into fellowship with his son. And that calling cannot be revoked. God will not undo his calling. So we see that both the father and the son ensure that we will make it to the end. Christ will sustain us to the end, guiltless and blameless. God, our Father, who is faithful, will keep us in that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, God's holy word shows us and tells us that we can rest in Christ. Nonetheless, I will admit, rest seems elusive, difficult, far from us, doesn't it? Very often. We face our own failures and sins, our wrong attitudes day by day. We face uncertainty about our future, don't we? Socially, politically, economically, personally. We don't know what the future holds. We face questions every day. And how we answer those questions matters. Every day, the news, the TV, the radio, social media, you pick your outlet, they have conflicting stories and narratives, right? I mean, some are going to say, COVID-19 is a hoax, and others are going to say it's biological warfare. 
Some say we are a racist nation, and others say, look around, how can that possibly be the case in comparison to others? Some say the planet's going to freeze, and some say the planet's going to heat up and melt down. Who will you believe? And, and how do you know? Every day we're bombarded with messages in our world. Read this self-help book. It'll fix all your problems. Support this cause. It'll fix the world. Hey, take this drug. It'll relieve you of all your anxiety. Who will you believe? And how do you know? How will you decide? Every day, Satan and your flesh bombard you with messages. You can't be a Christian. Look at that sin in your life. Huh, you can't measure up. Look at that amazing parent over there. You aren't holy. Remember that horrible, horrific event in your life? You aren't worthy of grace and mercy. You can never receive love and forgiveness. Who will you believe? And how will you decide? Listen, every day, God has something to say as well. God's word speaks forth with beauty, authority, and power. You can believe God. You must believe God. God's word speaks. Saint, you have Christ as your only hope. The saint is set aside and made holy and sanctified. Rest in Christ because God has sanctified you in Jesus Christ. God's word speaks, saint. Christ gives you everything you need for this journey. He gives you knowledge of his ways. He gives the ability to share the truth in the gospel. He gives you brothers and sisters to walk with. He gives you spiritual gifts with which you will enrich those around you. Rest in Christ because he has enriched you with all these wonderful things. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hallelujah and amen. God's word speaks. Saint, you will cross the finish line if you are in Christ. Do you understand this? On that final day, Christ will maintain you guiltless and guilt-free. No stain of sin whatsoever. And God, he is faithful. He will make it so by his divine calling and his divine power. So rest in Christ because he sustains you to the end through his work that he has accomplished. God's word speaks. Believer, your rest is found in Christ. For the true believer, you can trust God's word because it is authoritative. For the true believer, true believer you can rest because you have found life in Christ. But I have one more word to say because God's word speaks to the unbeliever as well. And unbeliever, if you have not put your trust and faith in Christ, you too can have rest. Come. I invite you to come. Look to the one who will give you rest from sin and from death. Turn to him. Repent. Look to Christ who will turn your unbelief into belief. Look to Jesus who will sanctify you and make you holy and blameless because he's already done it. Look to Jesus who carries away your sin, your anxiety, your accusations, your shame. Look to the Savior who alone can give you new spiritual eternal life. This is the hope. And if you do not have that hope within you, find someone. Speak about it. Discover Jesus. God's word speaks this morning. As we pray, 
and sing and prepare for the Lord's Supper, I have one request of you. Consider how you should respond with faith as God speaks authoritatively by his word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has done all that needs to be done that we might be sanctified, enriched, and indeed sustained. Lord God, for those who may not know Jesus as their Savior, would you let these words shape their thoughts and change their hearts forever. Father, for those who are struggling with anxiety and worry, may we rest in Jesus and all that he has done for us. We give you thanks and we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.